0: Welcome to the Campus Energy and Sustainability Podcast. In each episode, we talk with leading campus professionals, thought leaders, engineers, and innovators addressing the unique challenges and opportunities facing higher ed and corporate campuses. Our discussions will range from energy conservation to efficiency, to planning and finance, from building science to social science, from energy systems to food systems. We hope you're ready to learn, share, and ultimately accelerate your institution toward solutions. I'm your host, Dave Carlsgott, I'm a principal at Fovia, an energy, carbon, and business planning firm.
1: You know, if I just sent my CFO numbers all the time, he would not care. But when I show up in his office and I tell him some funny story, then we can segue that into a sustainability conversation and he will give me money.
2: You know, we really try to think very creatively using salsa as our analogy for how to engage our, our students. And so we have the mild, medium, and spicy groups of students.
3: You know, I hear tales scary tales from some universities where it's very much a students versus administration. And really, our sustainability policy originated out of student and
4: administration collaboration. What was really tricky was working with people and saying, okay, now we have to do these things.
0: In this episode, you'll hear a live recording of a panel discussion at the California Higher Education Sustainability Conference, which took place earlier this summer at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Regular listeners may remember episode 13 focused on aggressive climate action, which we recorded at this conference in 2018. This year, we focused on the idea of institutionalizing sustainability. More specifically, we tried to deconstruct some of the strategies traits, and tricks of our panelists who are all rock star sustainability professionals in their own right. You'll hear some great stories, plenty of roadblocks, some ingenious tactics, and some powerful analogies each of our panelists have used to catalyze change. In a moment, you'll hear our moderator, Ann McCormick of Wilden, an energy and engineering solutions firm, introduce our four panelists. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation recorded July 10th, 2019, as much as I did.
5: Uh, Welcome, everybody. It's uh, 2.10. We're going to go ahead and get started with our session. And our our session today is about decision-making, how campuses make decisions for sustainability. It's been a real treat to work with each of the districts represented here today over many years and to see all the progress that's been made. And I really appreciate the content of this session today because it really is about getting results and uh, getting things done. And we have definitely some of the best here. We have each of the four systems represented. Jillian Buckholtz from Cal State East Bay. Joe Fullerton from San Mateo Community College District. Mackenzie Krieger from Chapman University, private colleges represented. And we also have Nareet Katz from UCLA. But I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to our podcast host. And again, thank you everyone for being here.
0: Thanks, Ann. My name is Dave Carlsgott, as she mentioned. I'm with a company called Fovia, and we are a strategic planning firm that has has the pleasure of working with the UC campuses on their carbon neutrality initiative and have had the chance to work with many campuses in California and around the country. Today, I'm going to be wearing the different hat, though. I'm going to be the podcast host. So my role is going to be to kind of moderate our conversation here, I'll warm them up first for you, and then i'm going to turn it over to you to ask some more difficult questions as we get along. There are a couple of ground rules here, so first and foremost we're going to try to ask them questions that will make them squirm but but not get them fired that's kind of <laughs> a few of them you know you know you know the line and when I turn the questions over to you 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 have to actually ask a question so we're not talking about transportation in l a today we're uh, we're we're going to be uh you know trying to pull out the great knowledge they have about how decisions are made. These are a group of really creative people who have to navigate the bureaucracies that they work within and somehow, given limited resources and barriers at every turn, they somehow figure out a way to get things done despite all that. So I'm really here to learn with you. I work with campuses, but these are the experts that I'm trying to learn from. So this is going to be me learning. You can help me learn, and we'll, and we'll see where we go from there. What I'm going to need you guys to do is practice a little bit because you've never been a live audience, at least this specific group of people. So I've got a couple of of things. So at some point, Joe might tell a joke, for example.
2: Yeah, like uh, uh, why do pirates uh, love recycling? Why? Because they love the four R's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, all right, okay. All right, so. Narit, at some point, she might just surprise us all and come out with some grand new strategy that UCLA is going to go, and we're going to call this the gaps, and you all are all going to go, wow, yeah, very good. Okay, that's good. Exactly. So Mackenzie, she's going to kind of stir up some controversy, and I'm going to call this one maybe the the British Parliament gone awry one. She's going to start talking about her new strategy to use use uh, plastic straws to to hook up to her rain garden system, and and you guys are going to go nuts, and you're going to go. Yeah. <laughs> all right, maybe we gotta work on that going crazy part a little bit. And Jillian at some point is just gonna get a groove on and just be uh, passionately talking about how she connects sustainability to social justice. And you're gonna go! <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay, right. so I think you're ready, That's just good. First round, and maybe just we'll start with you, Joe. Can you just tell us who you are, where you're from, a little bit about your campus? Um, the next question will be about a key project you're working on. So if you want to give us like a laundry list, that's
2: great. So I'm Joe and I'm the energy and sustainability manager at San Mateo County Community College District. We like to say that really fast uh, to confuse people my job consists mainly i I work in the facilities maintenance and operations division Um, right now we're engaged in 500 million dollars worth of new construction major modernization so i'm responsible for all the fund lead and uh, sustainability environmental health and safety and general project facilitation work uh, within that uh, that scheme and our maintenance and operations work and the so folks that work in that division, custodians, engineers, and our groundskeepers. So I have domain over water, waste, energy, curriculum integration, climate action, all the normal stuff that a sustainability professional does. Um, and. I do that for three campuses with unique and challenging environments in and of themselves and try to feed those all up into one cohesive strategy altogether within a larger system of 114 schools across the community college system and trying to set a path and create replicable programs so that they can take and learn what we've done, do it better and give it back to us um, and we can then continue to propel and accelerate the sustainability revolution that we know is necessary. So that's all I do.
0: All right, before we go on, I also will note that Joe was here at our podcast recording last year and asked the first and last question and talked himself onto the panel because he mentioned we were missing community colleges, so we're glad to
2: have you here, Joe. Yeah, I basically kicked the door down. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Well, hi everyone. I'm Nareet Katz. I'm the Chief Sustainability Officer for UCLA and I've been in sustainability there for about a decade with, similar to what Joe was sharing, all of the different topics that we work on from energy, water, waste, procurement, transportation, all of it. I also more recently in the last couple years have taken on a more direct role within facilities management, so I also serve as the executive officer for facilities, which includes running our power plant, custodial and grounds, and kind of everything physical about the campus. My role in sustainability has a dual report to, so I have a dotted line to the academic side and a big part of my role, just like many of us, is sort of facilitating the university as a living laboratory, looking for applied research opportunities, ways in which we can test innovative technology and ideas in our physical operations and kind of further both the academic mission and our operational goals at the same time.
1: I'm Mackenzie Krigger. I'm at Chapman University and um, I'm the energy and sustainability manager there not anything too different. We're all working on the same big sustainability goals, um, same topic areas. The one thing that I do do that's a little different that has provided me some good entry roads to, um, to the academic side is I teach in the College of Environmental Science and Policy. And so that's been a really great and interesting experience because it's really allowed us to get students more involved in what's happening from a facilities and sustainability perspective than what they were able to do before. That sort of just was a lucky, um, happy accident, as I like to think of it. Bob Ross and I, we are on the same wavelength. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> come on, guys, that was a joke. <laughs> <I'm laughing>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, you know, we all were looking at waste, water, transportation, curriculum. Procurement, basically anything that touches sustainability, I have my finger in at some point and as an office of one, that gets overwhelming. So I'm really grateful for opportunities like this to come together and really see what's working for other people.
4: Hi, I'm Jillian Buchholz, Director of Sustainability at Cal State East Bay, located in Hayward, California, about halfway between Oakland and San Jose. Uh, also an office of one. Uh, what makes me a little bit different from everybody else here is that I'm located in academic affairs and I report directly to the provost. And my role is sort of twofold. About half of my time is spent facilitating and leading a student internship program. I hire between 12 and 18 students a year to do on campus sustainability <coughs> projects. And I was given that funding when I came into this position about five years ago. And then the other half of the work that I do is facilitating our campus sustainability committee, which is co-chaired by our provost and VP of finance and admin. And essentially through that committee, I'm able to do things like climate action planning and greenhouse gas inventories. and stars. We just got um, the email yesterday that we got a stars rating. We're bronze, yay, I'm very excited about that. Um, Yeah, all right, clapping, audience participation um so those are really the two areas that i work on i don't have an official dotted line to facilities but i do work with facilities a lot on integrating sustainability into campus operations as well and sort of serve as the um, environmental consultant for the campus as i tell the non-sustainability friends that i have
0: (laughs) all right very good Uh, we're gonna go we'll go backwards just to mix it up a little bit this round i'd like you to talk about a project that you've worked on where you were able to get decision makers to change their minds i don't want to hear about a little pilot project i want to hear about something that you've taken maybe from pilot all the way into there's a full budget line item the cfo knows about it and is is on board with it
4: that's a good question Our president signed Second Nature's Carbon Commitment in January 2015, and that was really great for me because it allowed me to establish the Campus Sustainability Committee with the stakeholders on campus who were organized and were able to get this position on campus, uh, the Director of Sustainability position. And through that too, we put together a Climate Action Plan. And this is the first time this has ever been done at Cal State East Bay, and for those of you that have done Climate Action Plans, it's not a very easy thing to do. But fortunately, I work a lot with faculty, being in academic affairs, and have a really great faculty champion, Dr. Karina Garbisi in environmental studies, who worked with me in a senior seminar class to get the climate action plan started. And then from there, we were able to snowball sort of that momentum and hire a Climate core fellow to help us write the climate action plan while we were working with stakeholders on the campus sustainability committee to get you know different data points to write the plan. So once we wrote the plan, we had to get approval for it. And we had to vet it through faculty, Campus Sustainability Committee, which has two VPs on it, get presidential approval, sort of go through the entire chain of everyone that would have to be working on the different directives in the plan. And getting the approval was a lot easier than what we thought it would be. I'm not sure anyone read it. I hope they did. But what was really tricky was once it was approved, People, working with people and saying, okay, now we have to do these things. And people were scared, and they thought it was additional work to what they do. And we had a really great moment with the procurement team. We sat down with them, and they said, we don't know anything about sustainability. What, what do we do? We don't have funds for this. We don't have expertise. And just by meeting with those folks one-on-one... They started to understand, oh, it's easy to go from paper processes to digital processes. It's easy to buy 100% recycled content paper. And then they started coming to us and saying, can we put sustainability in our campus credit card policy? And I said, yes. Can we stop allowing toner to be purchased on the campus credit card? And they were like, yeah, sure. We'll put that in our policy. So having the climate action plan established is sort of a long story from the president signing the commitment to getting the climate action plan to working with procurement on the initiatives within it, but building the relationships, being able to establish those through that process has started to really change our procurement department and it's been a big win for us.
1: That's awesome. When I think about the things that we've been able to do on our campus that have really changed perspective, the first thing that comes to mind is when we transitioned our landscaping to native and California friendly and drought tolerant. If any of you have been to Chapman's campus it is green and lush and beautiful and things have to bloom all the time even if it's not the right time for them to bloom and so when i first got to the campus i was like we live in southern california it is a desert like do you people not know this um they're like oh yeah but everything grows here and i'm like well just because everything grows here doesn't mean it should um But so through the um, environmental science and policy capstone course, we were able to go through, we mapped the whole campus, we looked at what percentage of our campus was drought tolerant, California friendly, native, um, and then proceeded to survey our campus. We managed to survey about 1500 people. Our campus at that point only had about 6000 undergraduate students and about 1000 graduate students, about 600 faculty and staff. So that's a pretty big chunk of your campus if you're able to get that. But by having so much data to say, hey, this is what people like, because we actually gave people pictures of potential California-friendly plants that we could swap out within our landscaping. And going, being able to go to our vice president of facilities and campus planning and say, look, the staff like this, the students like this, it will not be this ugly brown thing that you have in your mind because that's what we're fighting against. There's this perception that for something to be drought-tolerant or California-friendly that it had to be brown, it had to be ugly, and that started because a faculty member had started a campus drought-tolerant garden, and it had not worked well because the faculty member moved, they left the university, this thing died, and so it was just this legacy that was standing that had really been deeply ingrained into our administrators' perspective on what what this could look like and what this could mean for our campus. And so when we were finally able to say, okay, let's just do like we'll just do a little test garden. And I did this test garden right in front of their office, so they had to walk past it every (laughs) day. And I was like, look, it's beautiful. Everything is blooming at different times. You have all these different colors. It looks great. And so then. You know, six months later when nothing was dead, everything looked nice, they agreed to just basically transition our whole campus. There's only about 25% of our campus that hasn't been transitioned. And now it's just something that's normal. It's part of the process. Anytime we do a new construction or a building renovation, it's just the campus standard. It's not anything special, it's not anything new, it's not anything different. And people are like, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. This looks so nice. We're in a historic district and I regularly see people come in and like, take bits of our plants, and I see them like pop up in the neighborhood around us, which I'm fine with, but um, occasionally I catch people, and they're like, is this okay? And I'm like, yes, but I didn't tell you that. Uh, but it really did change how, how our campus operated and how we integrated with the community, and it sounds so cheesy to say, but it made people a little happier on campus, and it made them a more proud. You know, I always hear students doing campus tours, and they make a note that oh, this area is native or California-friendly. And I'm like, how did they even know that? Like, I'm not going to our admissions folks and giving them this information. So it is really something that is trickling down through the university, and it's not, not the crazy wild thing that everyone is anticipating it being.
0: So what I'm hearing is control the credit card and put it in the front lawn of the administration. Uh, that's yes. Keep takeaways mm-hmm. so far. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, read.
3: I love it. So I'm going to take a slightly different bend and talk about governance structures because we, we've had a really active sustainability committee for the last decade at UCLA that has really been a huge success of collaboration, faculty, staff, and students, and really a lot of the right decision makers there at the table, whether it's the head of transportation or facilities or areas like that. So the implementers very much, you know, the associate vice chancellors, et cetera. But as we approach our ambitious targets like carbon neutrality by 2025, zero waste that is bearing down on us all now, um, the decision making that needed to happen was starting to be even higher scale, you know, multi-million dollar infrastructure projects. And so we went to the leadership and our executive vice chancellor and said, we really need an executive committee now, in addition to our main sustainability committee. And we made a case for it and we were able to create this executive committee now that actually has the CFO of the university, the COO of the university, the CEO of our health system, the chair of the academic senate. It's one of the hardest meetings to schedule, as you can imagine. But having that commitment from the university to have that cabinet level group get together quarterly to really look at these decisions was a huge win for us. and so. I think it's been really successful so far, having that now additional higher level to bring things to from the main committee. So it's not so much one specific project, but it's something that I think is going to be helpful in transforming all of the projects we're considering right now.
0: You've created a a, a place in which to talk to the people that make the decisions, basically. You've you've institutionalized the decision-making process. That's
2: yeah. great. Tough acts to follow. Um, I'm kind of humbled to be up here. You know, when I started uh, six years ago, I was one of maybe two energy folks on community colleges. By student count, and the community college system were the largest potentially in the world. When I came on, though, I was, I was an energy management coordinator. My job description basically meant that I was going to hit buttons on the BMS and figure out where to save energy. I was like, that's n- not my job. First off, I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> you're like, Bleh. But you hired me, so let me tell you what I am going to do. <laughs> Sorry, I'm audacious. Uh, so I basically said, look, here's what we should do. We should think of energy as part of a larger strategic framework. We need to be talking about sustainability. And my boss is a 34-year military veteran. He has a good bark, but a very gentle bite. And he said, what the hell? basically what are you talking about? And I'm watering down the language for the podcast. My mom thanks you. Thank you. Yeah, my mom too. Um, (laughs) uh, She won't listen. Don't worry. Um, uh, uh, So anyway, he kind of begrudgingly was like, go ahead. As long as you're doing the energy work, uh, it's fine. But about two days later, I recognized in order to accomplish this bigger strategic framework that I was going to need lots of help. What I did was I approached uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, our, our utility, and I said, look, our largest sustainability problem is actually not energy, water, waste, curriculum integration or anything. It's human resources. We have a very large demographic shift that's going to happen. And we need to hire sustainability professionals in these types of roles, people like me that can do work like me and kick butt in this role because if we don't, we're destined to a whole nother generation of buildings that don't do stuff the way they're supposed to do, and people that don't know how to properly manage technologically advanced, super complex system. pg and like, okay, so what do you want? Well, I need about $35,000. I'd like to hire somebody, a fellow, to come in and help me out. So over about three years, we proved the value of that fellowship. We got continuous grants from, from various resources, established the, the fellowship in Community College of Sustainability, after three years, we had accumulated about $400,000 worth of value in that program through that fellowship, calculated minus my administrative costs, minus the computers that we had to buy, minus the training and professional development stuff that we sent them to. And they provided a lot of grants, a lot of other funds that brought, brought into us, including energy savings, consultant services, et cetera, that otherwise we would had to pay for. Three years in, I said, well, boss, look, we're kicking butt here. Um, how about we hire another person? look, I got all the metrics here, we're saving a bunch of money. And you asked me to save, like if, if I don't save enough money for my own job, like I'm supposed to get canned. I did that a couple of times over and I said, and I'm saving enough for another person, plus actually three more. So how about I build a team? And he said, well, how about one? So we hired another person and then two years later, another person. So now we're a team of three. And, uh, and so this is the next generation of sustainability professionals that are coming into the role. And we're still keeping the fellows. And this year, finally, I got internal funding for a fellow. Whereas before it was always from grants and I had to like, scrounge and work and be super resourceful, which is fun but exhausting. Uh, now I have internal funding for that, too. That is groundbreaking. That's what I'm really proud of.
0: All right, so get, get hired under false pretenses, then find a cost center and roll your own, right? Is that, okay,
2: is that it? All right.
0: <laughs> way oversimplifying, of course. All right, next one. What do you think is the secret sauce that's allowed you to, to do this? Like, what is it about you personally? Like, or what is it about, you know, the people around you or the organization you're in? I mean, you can answer that however you'd like. We'll start with the REIT and we'll go this way.
3: Let's see. I'll answer both of your questions. This role and, you know, UCLA. I think a lot of the success at UCLA has really been from this collaborative ground up approach. You know, I hear tales, scary tales from some universities where it's very much a students versus administration. And really at UC, at UCLA and at UC more broadly, our sustainability policy originated out of student and administration collaboration. And a lot of what we do is built on that. We have a fairly groundbreaking program uh, within UC and at UCLA. started as the Education for Sustainable Living program. But the specific part I want to talk about at UCLA is called Sustainability Action Research. And it's a two-quarter long course that's run by students with faculty advisors. And I've been serving as one of those. And basically the students form teams and they're paired with campus stakeholders. That could be the recycling coordinator or it could be someone in athletics. And then they do hands-on sustainability research that often leads to implementation even during the course. So the students get this concrete experience that when a lot of our alumni say is like the best part of their experience and the most useful in terms of their career because they learn project management and communication and all of these really good skills in this sort of client based project. And the university gets interesting data and support that we need. So it's an incredible program and I think has created a sense among our students that we're all part of a team here that you can work with the administration. None of our students for the most part are knocking on the chancellor's door with petitions or, or yelling about what needs to get done. Everyone you know, is working in really constructive ways. So I think that's been a huge win for UCLA and a huge sort of secret sauce to our success. And then in terms of these types of roles, and I think everyone will probably agree with this, I think the sustainability officer role in particular, you have to be somewhat of a renaissance person, like a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type human, because you're not all about transportation or you're not all about procurement. You're juggling 10,000 projects. And you know, when I'm giving career counseling to our students, I make sure they know that It takes a specific human to want to do that type of job. It's not for everybody. And there are a lot of more specialized, focused roles available in the field. There's a lot of different ways to contribute to sustainability without having it in your title. So I think that's something important to understand.
2: So um, I'm the middle of five. My name is Joe, which is about the most average name you could possibly have. I grew up in the middle class environment outside of Philadelphia, which is like the middle of like all middle so I'm mi- I'm like the middle of everything and so I'm perfectly comfortable getting in the middle of conversations <laughs> like there's a story of when, when I was when I was three and my older brother was five and my little brother was one I was negotiating like a lawyer would on our front steps about how Tim my older brother was supposed to give the toy back to Matt who could barely hobble down the steps at one, right? So I have this like ingrained in me. So, so as a sustainability professional and similar to what uh, Narit was saying, having this negotiator, bridge builder, facilitator skill <laughs> basically like drilled into me from every level um, is really critical to my role in my organization. It's what really has, I think, driven our success and really helps me feel fulfilled. And I, and I love telling stories. There's data and I, I like crunching data, but actually making that story stick, right? Numbers numb. So I I really love telling stories. I love getting people's perspective on things and putting people, the heroes in my organization up on the pedestal that they deserve to be up on and stepping back and saying, hey, this, this person is really awesome and they win the sustainability awesomeness prize of the universe.
1: Ultimately, I think a lot of the success that I've been able to have at Chapman is, number one, no one sounds like me. And so as soon as I call someone, I show up in their office, they're like, oh, what is she saying? So it forces them to pay a little more attention. And it has also enabled me to make a ton of friends. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll do accent coaching after. Um, But... So much of getting stuff done in this field is collaboration and finding partnerships. And if you can find a way to make friends with people and just build a little bit of rapport, they're much more willing to listen and talk with you. You know, if I just sent my CFO numbers all the time, he would not show up in my office. He would not care. But when I show up in his office and I tell him some funny story, then we can segue that into a sustainability conversation and he will give me money. So, (laughs) you know, it... Oh, it just—it's all about finding what works for you and the environment where you are. Because the same thing that works for Narit's not going to work for me, and and potentially vice versa. Unfortunately, it it's situational, it's campus
4: specific, and so find what works for y'all. At East Bay, I think what has made the position successful there has been the faculty. It was faculty that were pushing sustainability before I got there. It was faculty that wanted the position to be in academic affairs. And it was faculty that, when I got hired, said, Here is a list of things we want you to do within the first five years. So I sort of had this five-year plan put in front of me and it's been faculty who have been pushing the academic side of things through academic senate and now have a committee on academic senate for sustainability which i'm um, an official member of as an administrator i'm kind of the dark side and i try Mm -hmm. to like stay out of faculty stuff a little bit because i you know want them to move things along as they've been doing so well so that's really been i think the secret to the success of the position there and then kind of like joe when i was a kid my dad put one of those can crushers on the wall of the basement. And it was my job to like crush the cans and put them in the recycle bin, take them to the curb, and or take them back to the grocery store. Remember when they used to have conveyor belts in the like back of the grocery store and you could like, seal the stuff back there? And I mean, ever since then, I've just thought, how cool is recycling and how cool is the environment? It's all I can remember wanting to do is save the planet. I mean, when I went to college, I was a biology major, and everybody in my classes wanted to be a doctor. And I was like, maybe I'm in the wrong (laughs) major. And so I switched to environmental geography, and it all worked out. But just being really passionate. There's a lot of bureaucracy where we work. And it's hard work. You don't always have support. But if you really care about these issues, I think what we all have in common is we want to do something that is right for the people and the planet. And that's what, what drives me. It's one of the ingredients in the sauce.
0: Very good, all right. We've got lots of time, and if you don't ask questions, I'll ask more, but uh, does anybody have a question to start? Right up front, you're in Joe's position last year, so be careful. <laughs>
5: Love your stories. And I'm, I'm gonna play off something Mackenzie said about the faculty member who did what you'd think of as a good thing. They planted native drought tolerant plants that they didn't water because they left. That's an example of a good intention gone awry. Can you give other examples of good intentions gone awry and how to deal with that? Because a lot of us want to do good, yet if you don't do good in the right way, it may keep you from being able to do the good that you wanted to do.
1: Unfortunately, on Chapman's campus, we have so many examples of good intentions gone awry. (laughs) And and another one, I walked into our storage unit the other day, and I have about 1,000, and I'm not exaggerating, 1,000 teeny tiny little recycling bins. I don't know where they came from. Turns out someone got them from a grant that they had applied for, and it was a faculty member. And then they realized that these bins are too little, they can't do anything with them, and so they're just sitting somewhere taking up space. And I think we all have examples like that across our campus. And so much of that could be avoided if we just talk to one another. If you just get out of your office and you walk down the hall or you walk across the campus and just say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. Where are the holes? What thing is gonna be wrong? It's a little harder for some reason to do that with faculty members. And I say that as someone who is technically a faculty member. We get in our own way a lot of the time. And so finding ways around that and just, and, and you sort of have to remind people all the time, like, hey, did you talk to so-and-so about this? Or, hey, I know that this person has an expertise here. You know, and you, you, you teach systems, so you know that better than anybody. There are all these things that, that can influence and, you know, these unintended consequences that you're not even seeing in your system until you get out of your own way.
3: I can uh, piggyback on that. And it's funny because I was going to say the same sort of thing around systems, which it
0: sounds like you're deeply familiar with. Who are we talking to, by the way, just because on the audio, they can't see Daniel. I'm Dan
5: Fernandez, and I teach a class on systems thinking. So. Okay. Very good. Okay, awesome. thank you. Yes. Yeah. So Go if ahead. you didn't hear
3: that, Dan Fernandez, who teaches systems thinking, asked us a question about <laughs> good intentions. And within systems, that's the understanding that you come to is all of these unintended consequences, feedback loops, things that we don't anticipate. Um, We run into this all the time in sustainability. I think right now a lot of organizations are struggling with compostable plastics. A lot of people have switched. I know, I hear the groans. So a lot of people in trying to meet their zero waste targets did a lot of switching over to compostable plastics and then find out that they aren't so easy to compost and you have to have access to industrial composting. And ultimately, with all the issues that are going on, we really need to focus more on reusables as opposed to just the compostable. So there's a quote that I use in my class that I think is Oliver Wendell Holmes, and he said, I don't give a fig <laughs> about the simplicity this side of complexity. I think that was like early way of, well, you know what that's saying. But he said, but I would give my arm, I think he says, for the simplicity on the other side of complexity. And so acknowledging and understanding that we're dealing with complex systems and taking the time before you finalize the decision to try to think of all the stakeholders that could be impacted, all the unintended consequences and all of that can really help avoid getting stuck with a bunch of stuff that you don't need or an investment that's hard to reverse or, or anything like that.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so really, don't let the tail wag the dog, right? The opposite of system thinking for sustainability is random acts of sustainability, <laughs> right? Like, the road to um, heck for Dave's mom is paved with good intention, right? Um, She's so, calling uh, me on Skype. Yes, yeah, right so <laughs> I may be able to fit one more cliche into this sentence. So um, no, but seriously, the 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 random access sustainability thing is great, but how to really make sure those things are pointing in the right direction and are connected to larger goals is hard. Making sure that they actually have the intended consequences um, and results is a whole nother level. There's a the systemization of it, which is really important, but the individual impacts and, and the results that those have on the individual who initiated them and the timing of which the intervention actually happened are all really critical elements to think about. Even the right size recycling bin put in in the wrong way at the wrong time for the wrong person is not gonna go right
4: i just add that I've learned through working with the diversity officers on campus about thinking about intention versus impact. Mm-hmm. And can you align the two and make sure that you know, your intention might be good, but your impact might not be? And can you see that before
5: you implement something?
0: All right, go ahead, Anne.
5: Great, thank you. Um, I, I keep having this thought as I'm hearing you answer these questions about the most valuable resource that you all have, and that's the students. And how you funnel the students' good intentions and enthusiasm. We've worked with campuses who have so many different student organizations and so much great energy. And I know it's particularly an issue at the community colleges when you've got two years, right, and they're moving on. So, can you give examples about how you've gotten impact from students? You know, beyond just the few interns, but how you get them up to speed fast and channel their energy in a really valuable direction?
0: Like at the student body level, okay.
3: I'm sure we all have stories for this one. Um, the sustainability action research program that I mentioned is a, it's been a really powerful tool for showing students, not only the students who participate in the program, but then as we talk about and share those projects, it really gives students a sense that they can be part of implementation. But another really important tool we've had is for many years, we have like kind of the opposite challenge sometimes of some colleges where people are passing through really quickly. We have a lot of enthusiasm. So we have 40 different student groups on campus focused on sustainability. Yeah, it's a lot. There's one that's just about bees and one that's about oceans and and they keep growing. And so uh, years ago, I started what I think originally was called the Green Council. Now we call it the Student Sustainability Leadership Council. And basically, I bring together the leaders of all the student groups regularly so that we can try to encourage and foster collaboration across the groups. So we don't have five different groups calling our office saying, we wanna do X, Y, Z or Waste Project. And we're like, oh, well, did you know these guys are doing that? So trying to create some opportunities for larger collaborations and projects among all these different student groups. But it also helps our office stay on top of what's going on with all the students and, and engage them in a broader way. So that's been a really good tool. and then. There's lots more but there's lots more people in
4: this podcast so who's next
0: I like that enthusiasm clearinghouse i suppose right yeah, yeah. there you go
4: in the internship program that i run i try to focus the beginning of the fall semester on professional development i'm not sure about all of you but i didn't really know how to write an email to an administrator when i graduated college i didn't know how to work with someone who technically was higher above me in a work situation. So I didn't know time management, any of that stuff. So I try to be really deliberate about teaching them professional development skills right off the bat. And then I give them uniforms, a casual uniform, like a t-shirt and then the polo so that they can feel a little bit more professional. And I let them take full reign on what their project is with giving them a little bit of background and usually have some rollover students so they can kind of help with that. But then I tell them it's okay to fail. Like this is college, fail all over the place, this is the time to do it, and then I will try and help you learn how to not fail when you graduate and get a real job in finger quotations. The fact that they have autonomy, they can't usually handle it at first, and they're, they're like I've never had a job or someone doesn't tell me exactly what to do. and. I can do whatever I want. I'm like, yeah, sure, go for it. Also, because I'm very busy and I can't always be looking over their shoulder, so it's helpful for me too. But then by the end of it, the feedback I always get is this is the best job ever because I got to plan the position for myself and I got to figure it out on my own. And it really gives them the confidence, I think, and experience that when they're applying for internships or fellowships or they get a job, they can say, yes, I ran this program, yes, I designed it on my own and it's just, it's empowering, so that's been what's worked.
2: So at community colleges it is a little, uh, we, we don't have 40 student groups focused on bees and flowers and stuff, I don't envy that, that challenge. The challenge we have is very per- permeable barriers, right, and we have students literally from the age of nine all the way up to 90 something. On our campuses, all education levels, all shapes, sizes, religions, uh, sexual orientations, backgrounds, etc., and anybody can come onto our campus from the community at any point and take any number of classes or not. <laughs> right? So, you know, we really try to think very creatively, using salsa as our analogy for how to engage our our students. And so we have the mild, medium, and spicy groups of students. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm a food. I didn't grow to be this size by being picky about food. And salsa is one of my favorites on the mild side. Those are the folks that you know maybe have a little bit of time. Um, They're part of a class, maybe a larger class. They can do an assessment, something like that. Very basic. You know, the medium is part of a smaller group. They have maybe a couple hours during a week, or you know, they're they're a little bit more focused on a specific thing. Uh, Maybe it's a group of folks. And then on the spicy side, and we also have super spicy like habanero, ghost pepper, spicy. Uh, On the spicy side. Uh, basic spicy side we have like like an honor student and uh, honestly our honor students often happen to be our high school students they're in high school on our campus taking college credits and they are they are really the outcast of their high school environments because they're so bright um, so motivated and so mature for their age that they just don't fit in with their high schools. That wasn't me in high school, that's for sure. Um, so I really admire that capacity. So our our process for engaging them and really empowering them and then enriching them, and we do use those three E's as kind of part of our brand, is to support them in whatever way they need. And sometimes that means that when their grandpa dies, they'll make sure they have... I'm thinking of somebody specific, that would give them, mm. sorry, <laughs> uh, excuse me, but that, they, that we make sure that they have the wraparound services that they need. Like that student, if they don't have food, have, you know, like there's all those basic things to come into play for our students and that's where we go, right? We go to those places with them and give them what they need for whatever time that we have with them. We have students that have gone through our programs in our fellowship and, and, and our mild, medium, and spicy salsa analogies, let's bring back some, some light to this conversation, you know, that have gone through that and have changed their major. You know, I think one's even in, maybe even in this room right now. Those are really points of pride for me and engaged and helped me stay engaged and, and empowered and enriched as well.
0: It's not the first bit of tears I've seen about that relationship I saw somebody from UCLA with uh, one of your colleagues Having a tearful departure after leaving the conference yesterday so it's really fun to see how much i mean that this is why we do it right this is it's our future right that's great all right so who's got an upper for us <laughs> yeah, go ahead
3: <laughs> maybe i don't know
1: um or you so, can take us really dark if you want to <laughs> well a few of you guys have alluded to kind of success like having a champion for a project whether that's a faculty member or one of yourselves
5: and so i'm curious how you would handle or if you have examples of what you would do if you lose that champion if it's kind of, you know, sustainability isn't
4: entrenched already in the institution.
0: Yeah, that is kind of a dark question. I I think that's good.
4: So at Kelsey East Bay, um, our chief diversity officer just recently um, retired and I had been working with her the whole entire time that I'd been on campus to try and deliberately integrate diversity and sustainability into the fabric of our campus. Kelsey East Bay has the most diverse student population of any campus in the United States on the continent. Apparently we're number five if you include Hawaii. So diversity is forefront in what we do, sustainability not as much, we're getting there. So I wanted to make sure I was working with her and she came to CHESC two years in a row. We talked about how we were just trying to start this conversation. She went to ACHE with me, which is the Association for the Advancement of Sustainability and Higher Education, for those of you who don't know that, has a conference, and we are doing all this great work, bringing, going into the classroom together. Well, when she retired and another chief diversity officer has now been hired, I'm having to start all over again, and it's been more challenging just because this person is new they have a lot of work they need to do and sustainability might not be you know at the top of that list. So what has helped has been working with my other colleagues in the CSU and then also starting to work with the student um, groups and coordinators on campus that work on diversity issues so even though you might lose that champion and, and you will have to, it's cyclical, you might have to just start back from the bottom again and work your way up but there are gonna be other champions out there that maybe you didn't recognize and it's sort of their time to come into the light and just working with those folks and then bringing the other folks in in those positions once they feel like they've got their feet under them a little bit when they're new.
1: Just sort of echo that so on the um, campus sustainability committee it's made up of students faculty and staff and we had a really great chair for three or four years and she had been on the committee for several years prior to that and she was gung-ho she was awesome she was great Um, and then she got a new job and moved to Yale I mean good on her but (laughs) I was very sad Uh, but what happened in that moment though is it gave like you said, it gives other people this opportunity to rise up and Mm -hmm. to become that campus sustainability chair. And the person that we have now, she'd been on the committee for a couple of years and is just very honest. She was like, I don't really know very much about sustainability, but I'm here because I know that this is important. This is something that I want to be more involved in on our campus. And now three years later, she's our campus sustainability chair. She's leading trainings. I'd no longer have to show up at our professional development trainings because I know that she's gonna do such a great job she continues to just bring more people in and it has access to people on campus that i don't necessarily have access to and and so when like you said you know it's always going to be cyclical people are always going to fall away and people are always going to come in but what i find is that when that happens it brings a new perspective it brings some new life and you you may end up with something that's even more valuable than than what you thought but you do kind of have to start back again but you're on a college campus and so you're in this perpetual educational opportunity moment
3: yeah, I'll second um, all of that. I think we're at a time of some pretty big transitions for UCLA, actually. Our Associate Vice Chancellor for Environment and Sustainability just got appointed by the governor to go up to Sacramento. So we're losing a major player there. Our Executive Vice Chancellor just stepped down out of his role, so we have a brand new provost coming in. Um, so a lot of change, but what I have found over the years is, you know, as they were saying, there are always new champions, and so you have to be kind of on it and and go after and find them. I'm going to embarrass one of them who's in the audience, Brendan Bellina, who's leading our Green IT Task Force, um, is a new champion who's enthusiastic enough to be here at Chessick and just all over, you know, helping us grow these Green IT initiatives. And it was an initiative that lost a champion a while ago, and it kind of, it had faded for a while, but it has new life now. You know, in terms of easing that transition, I think planning ahead, knowing that people can leave, and doubling up as much as possible. You know, we, with our Carbon Neutrality Fellows, which is a a UC program where we have a couple students each year, we've started deliberately trying to have one student serve multiple years so they can train the next person. And you can do that on your committees too, have a co-chair, find ways to make sure that when it's not all about one person and one personality, and then you know institutionalize, institutionalize, institutionalize as much as you can. And I think you'll be in better shape when you do lose somebody, you know, really passionate like that.
2: Yeah, just very briefly, um, I'm like uh, known for analogies. So you know, there's this thing where a tree is never more alive than when it's fallen over and decaying, mm. right? So I think we've kind of heard of that. <laughs> yeah, <that's interesting>. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're
5: ending on dark 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 dark.
1: So <laughs> let me let me
2: just drop but that. Uh, but it is. I mean, and that's and that's where things start to get really interesting, and, and new life pops up. And that's you know the the, the theme here. That's good. All right, who's who's got another question?
6: Um, So speaking of institutionalization, um, specifically for faculty, I know some of you come from that side of the house, but for, you know, especially being a one person shop, um, do you have any tips or like best practices in terms of really making that jump from, I'm just working individually with all these professors and they might or might not be around next year. Um, And we did this awesome project, but then they went away. Like, how do you actually build that into more of a college level or, uh, you know, institutionalized where it's actually in the learning outcomes for the university? Like, how do you make that jump from just these kind of one-off projects?
1: so i I, my primary position is within facilities management but i am um, i'm a lecturer in the college of environmental science and policy and one of the things that has happened and part of it is because after six years of teaching in that college i have a really good relationship with everybody else that's in that college. But we have actual sustainability learning outcomes that are embedded in all of those classes. And then the other thing that we did several years ago is we went through and we audited all of our college, not only the science college, but all of the colleges on campus, we audited their whole course list to see where we could be adding sustainability, learning outcomes, or suggesting, hey, you teach this class, are you doing any sort of section on sustainability? So then it becomes part of the syllabus that is passed on year to year. And so it's showing up in macroeconomics. It's showing up in accounting classes. It's showing up in English and rhetoric classes because those faculty members now, you know, when you come in, you're teaching some sort of Composition 101. That was on the syllabus that you've inherited from someone else. So it's just part of the program. And I don't know if other universities do this, but Chapman has... I don't know, two weeks before school, all the faculty come together and they do basically an intensive two days learning. There are all these seminars. And one of the things I've started doing is I go and teach a sustainability in your curriculum class. And I basically have people bring a syllabus and we sit down and we go through and figure out how they can add sustainability into their curriculum. I attended a session on this at Chess like three or four years ago. It was super great. AC offers one almost every year. And it was It was really powerful to see not only how other faculty members were already doing this but how schools had institutionalized that process and so i think if you can just find some faculty members that are willing to put that into their syllabus talk to deans talk to department directors that's really for me that has been the best way to actually make that happen and most faculty members shy away from that because they think that i'm not an expert in this so i don't want to teach it I have the opposite approach. I'm like, I don't know anything about this. Let's learn about it as a class. And so I really try to take that attitude into faculty meetings and say, this is, like, it doesn't have to be scary. This can be a learning opportunity for everyone. So I think just find some champions, some people that you can go to and hope for the best.
0: Shameless self-promotion here. Episode three of the podcast, we talked with Krista Heiser at the University of Hawaii, who talks a lot about that specific topic. But I think, was your question really more around, like, was it education or was it operational?
6: Uh, maybe a little bit of both, because there's a huge difference, especially if you're a one-person shop, where you're trying to do all of these sustainability projects to get things going, and how do you really make that jump where the campus is taking ownership and actually you know, institutionalizing sustainability and saying, hey, this is part of our culture. So not everything has to run through this one sustainability coordinator. We actually have other um, departments and divisions, um, academic side people who are actually like taking the leap and saying, hey, we're going to do sustainability too, because you've inspired us. Was there a moment like that?
2: I can speak to both sides of this, right? So for a couple years, I was a single single person shop. And as we were basically forming our first generation sustainability initiative, the, the way I thought about it was um, I need to mechanize it as much as possible. So I really started to think of our organization as a series of nodes and gateways and paths between those nodes with gateways in between. So I was using my systems thinking diagrams. I literally mapped out the organization on a piece of paper the size of my wall, who was who, what are they doing? It helped me learn the organization, helped me know where they were physically in space, who they reported to, who their administrator was, who reported to them, etc. And then I looked at their calendars and I looked at what kind of meetings they were going. Not like in a creepy way, but just like, (laughs) right? Like what what meetings are, are happening? Instead of spending a whole bunch of time tracking down this person or getting in front of them or trying to schedule a meeting, I would just show up wherever they were with a whole bunch of other people and then i thought of myself as the modern farmer i'm going to come here and plant some seeds and the thing about um, the the farmer analogy is that you can't forget where you planted the seed and you had to know how much water it needs how much sun it needs what kind of soil it's supposed to be in and um, and so part of that mapping process was okay i planted i planted a seed here an idea and so i would go into a meeting and be like, you know that's really interesting i wonder if we could ever develop like a sustainability pathway to four-year universities, that'd be cool. And then I'd like walk out. Um, <laughs> and then, um, and then you know, i go to the next meeting, literally like two minutes later, and i am like, yeah. Uh, and then it'd be like the, the finance committee. I'm like, yeah, I wonder if we, like, how could we figure out how to pay for a part-time faculty position, some release time perhaps. i like, I wonder if that would help do like a sustainability pathway program to a four-year university. Like literally. And then, um, and then I go to the next meeting and do some iteration thereof, right? Plant seeds, plant seeds. And then I come back a couple weeks later and be like, you know, I heard somebody was doing a sustainability pathway GE program <laughs> um, over at blah, blah, blah. And um, and they're like, yeah, we heard about that. I was like, huh. And then all of a sudden, it's their idea, right? And, like, uh, like, and now we have sustainability pathway programs. You know, It took four years, but the seed was planted. The water was applied, the sun was shined, all the things all the soil was treated and 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 now that 's growing, and it 's off on its own and Now, my job is really to collect the fruit and make sure that it can be eaten by the administrators so that they can feel happy and full mm-hmm. in their in their roles right
4: um, I would just add, in addition to what has been said here about finding champion, champions, just weaving into the fabric of the university, we just had a new dining services contract and I was able to get a lot of sustainability stuff in it. And so now the new dining services provider, they are sitting down with me when they first get there and they're like, okay, sustainability, let's talk about it, it's part of what we have to do. So it's already in dining, housing overseas dining. So they're like, okay, we have to do you know this in dining. We should be thinking about zero waste. We need new signs. Jillian, will you help us design the signs for the waste enclosures, and it just kind of snowballs like that. Another example is through Academic Senate bylaws, they have a DLO and a SALO, which is a diversity equity liaison officer and a student affairs liaison officer. And I was like, why don't we have a SULO, a sustainability liaison officer? Mm -hmm. And so now I'm working with Academic Senate to write it into the bylaws so that it is just part of the fabric of what we're doing at East Bay so if I'm not in the room someone looks at the bylaws and they're like oh we have to have this and there's already a model for it which is great too so no one's gonna say no to me because they're already doing it in two other divisions so just working it into contracts working into bylaws working into what you're already doing the way the campus operates is huge so that if you go somewhere else that framework won't break down while you're gone.
3: Yeah, I think that type of institutionalization really matters, and I really, 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 really love that farmer analogy. I think a lot of what we do is planting seeds, and you sound like a much more thoughtful farmer. I think sometimes <laughs> I'm more just like scattering seeds all over the place and then forgetting to come back and water them. But, you know, sometimes sometimes we're successful at that. Um, you know, but I think another thing to keep in mind as you're building that ownership across campus is Recognition, you know, speaking of like administrators feeling full and happy, um, you know, taking the time to recognize your champions, putting together teams of cross-campus people to work on stuff. When things go slow at UCLA, one of my favorite things to remind myself about the institution is that we are an institution with a committee on committees. This is like an actual thing at UCLA. So I, I I take a moment and I'm like, okay, committee on committees. But you know, all joking aside, committees are actually really useful. If you're an office of one, get the a committee and more than just one like task forces on different areas. You should have a waste task force that has key people from housing, from different areas, you know, working together. And that way they can start to have some ownership. And it's not just the expectation that, you know, you'll do everything on your own. Again, you know, back to the recognition piece, have a sustainability champions program or awards program or, you know, certification programs, anything that really helps people get recognized for the amazing work that they're doing championing across the university. And that'll really help grow that enthusiasm for it.
0: All right, we got to wrap this up. I just wanted to to first of all say thank you to our panelists. I thought this was a lot of fun. So thank you for, let's give them a round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> I also wanted to say thank you to the folks here at, at UCSB. Audio guys, thank you very much for your help and, and our volunteers, uh, Zoe and Blake. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode. I did want to give a special shout out to our summer intern, Kaya Finlay who helped organize and produce this episode. To learn more about today's episode or any of our shows, you can visit our website at campusenergypodcast.com. We recently added a new transcript feature on the website and we're working to add this to all of our previous episodes. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, we are on Twitter at energy podcast and also now on LinkedIn, just search for campus energy and sustainability podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes or sending a link to a friend. As always, thanks for listening.